0: Jesus had just told a crowd of people, including the Pharisees, that it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. The Pharisees were not happy with this statement because it condemned much of their rituals and ceremonies. It contradicted all the food laws of the Old Testament. He told them, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles. Jesus is teaching them it is their heart that matters. It is the relationship and attitude they have for God and their neighbor what matters. Not what they eat. Now our gospel begins with Jesus going to Tyre and Sidon outside the Jewish territory. Perhaps he could get some rest there because the crowds would not want to follow him there. But this time, it is not his followers that are calling out to him to heal the sick. It is a Canaanite woman, a Gentile. She must have heard that he was a healer, a wonder worker, Maybe he, just maybe, he could help her daughter. Women at the time did not have any power. They were not supposed to approach men in public. But here we see a woman who would do anything for her sick child, even approaching men and shouting to their leader in public. It was a bold and brave thing to do. She wouldn't take no for an answer. Even when Jesus said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, she came up to Jesus, knelt before him, and asked for help. Jesus answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. A rather shocking statement for us to hear from Jesus. Again, she wouldn't take no for an answer and she responded, yes Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus could see what was in this Gentile woman's heart. He saw her love for her child, her wit and her remark, her bravery, her persistence, and her faith in him. And he healed her daughter. Jesus was showing his disciples that even a Gentile, a non-Jew, deserves love and God's blessing. Jesus makes this very clear when he tells his disciples at the end of Matthew, saying, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Note, not just the Jews, but all nations, Baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. The Gentile woman was persistent. Women can be persistent. And I'm sure there are men here today who can testify to that. We can even be annoying at times. We want things done not three hours from now, not tomorrow. It must be something in our women genes. Women are very persistent when they feel strongly about an issue. I was born in 1946 in Rochester, New York. I remember at 21 going downtown and registering to vote. All the women I knew voted and now I would be able to vote too. I never gave it a thought of the women who came before that made that possible. That had only been 26 years before I was born when women were given the right to vote. Women like Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who spent their lifetime working to end slavery and the women's right to vote. At 17 years old, Anthony got 400,000 signatures, supporting the end of slavery. In 1872, she got arrested for voting before it was legal. Stanton organized the 1848 Seneca Falls Convention, demanding that women have the right to vote. At age 86, at her birthday celebration in Washington, D.C., she gave a speech and in it said, failure is impossible. This became the woman's slogan from then on. She died a few days later after that speech. Both died in their 80s and never saw the 19th Amendment ratified in 1920, but it was their work their persistence that made it possible. In the same way, women have fought to have a place in the church. As a child, I remember my brother being an altar boy. I never questioned why girls couldn't do it. There were just things that boys did and things that girls did. Women weren't on the vestry, but they were great in the kitchen, and making things for bazaars and running the Sunday school program for the children. Things started to change after World War II, and many things happened in the church in the 1970s. For me, the 70s can be summed up in this one statement. I taught school, I got married, I had a baby, my father died, got remarried, inherited two little boys, four and six, and had another baby. We got the children baptized. And we went to church, but not every Sunday. My focus was on raising a family, cleaning the house, making dinner, and trying to keep my head above water. I didn't pay attention to the politics of the church, and I was oblivious to the challenges and changes. I was just too busy. I remember the first time that women had been ordained to the priesthood, and I said, I'm not sure if I would like to go to a church with a woman priest. It would just be too weird. I never did go to a church with a woman priest. I became one. God always gets the last laugh. Eleven women were ordained in July 1974 and four others in September 1975 before General Convention authorized the ordination of women in 1976. They were persistent women. They were women of great faith who loved God and who were called to the ordained ministry but were denied because of their womanhood. These women attended schools like Smith, Brown, and Yale, but also local schools like Lake Erie College in Ohio. They were bright, accomplished women, poets, authors, fighters for human rights. Of the 11 ordained in 1974, the youngest was 27, and the oldest was 79 years old. And that was Jeanette Pickard. She had told her mother when she was 11 years old that she wanted to become a priest. She waited 68 years for her call to ministry to be realized. She lived a full life before ordination. She was a balloon pilot, a consultant to the director of NASA's Johnson Space Center and after her death was inducted into the International Space Hall of Fame. Pickard died when she was 86 years old. All of these women had a call to ministry, a call to serve Christ and to make him known. They were persistent, wouldn't take no for an answer, just as the gentile woman who approached Jesus asking him to heal her daughter. She heard he was a healer. She came hoping that it was true. She got on her knees, called him Lord, and asked for help. Jesus recognized her faith, and her daughter was healed. She surely went out and told all the women she knew, and perhaps the men, that Jesus was indeed a holy man of God. We are all called to the priesthood of all believers. Our roles may be different, but none is more important than the other. We are all to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that Jesus will come again in glory to receive us into God's kingdom. We are all to work to make Jesus known to all people so they too can share in his glory. Today we celebrate the new ministry of Colleen who has been called by God to serve God as a deacon in this church. She too has benefited from the brave, persistent women who made the way for women into ordained ministry. She too is accomplished. As Father Jim told us, she was called to become a nurse and did that for over 40 years. It takes a special person to care for others in that way. She is an author and has written books about surgical instrument and procedures. Now, as a deacon, she is called to represent Christ, the church, and to help those in need. We are very pleased that she will be serving us here at St. George. We know that her ministry will be filled with God's grace and love. Colleen, we bless you. We support your ministry. We look forward to see where Christ leads you. And we pray that each day brings you joy, peace, and closer to Christ as you serve him in God's church. Amen.